Let us pray together. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. Heavenly Father, as we're here today to receive your message and to receive your word, I pray, God, that our hearts will be full of humility right now at this time. I pray against every distraction at this moment. Lord, we ask, God, that you will come and speak to us. Speak your word of life. For, God, we are hungry and thirsty for your presence. And, God, as I transition now to the message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O God. Our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we need you right now. Come speak to us. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things. In your precious son, Jesus Christ, I pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. Hello, church. I hope you had a great week. Uh, We have now finished our Philippines series this past Sunday. And now we're going to embark in a new series on the book of Job. Now, we've been away for a while. Uh, We haven't seen each other in a long time. And we've been doing church through media online and watching the videos. But I just want to remind you once again what a church is. Now, this is not something that a church is where we go ahead and we have Sunday service on Sundays, especially at home, through a screen. A church is the body. A church is where we come together and meet face to face and we come to worship the living God. Right now, it's a little different because right now, of course, we have to do this given the situation of the pandemic and everything. But I just want to remind you once again that we're going to officially meet once again very soon. Until then, I I just want to remind you, don't get too comfortable in worshiping at home through a screen. Be ready once again to fellowship, to have true fellowship, to have genuine fellowship with one another. And let's continue to pray for one another, especially right now as we have not seen each other in a while. Let's continue fighting. Keep up the good fight. Let's continue fighting this fight together. Let's pray for one another. Let's continue to encourage one another to push each other so that we can get to the next place where God has called us to be. Amen? So with that, let me introduce you to today's title. The title is called Job Introduced. Who was Job? My job, right, Job It's a little joke there. My job as your pastor is to help prepare you to worship God faithfully in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your testings. So that as Christians, as Christian men and women of God, that when trials come, when hardships come, when we're in the midst of trials, that we will bless his name, not only when things are easy and good, when it's easy to worship God, but that even in our suffering, that we will learn to lift up our hands in prayer and in worship, to overcome evil in everything, in every attack, to overcome all evil in our lives. So the text here, tells us, the text that we're going to go into today, it tells us that Job was a very wealthy and upright individual who loved God. Despite the fact that Job, he loses everything, 
we see throughout the book of Job that he holds on to God faithfully. And he is steadfast, holding on to God. And he refuses to let God go. Meaning the greater the hardship was in Job's life, the more he drew nearer and closer to God. So as Christian men and women of God, we too must draw near to God in the midst, in the midst of our trials and hardships, especially when things do not go our way. As Christians, this is our core duty. You could even say call of duty. As soldiers for Christ, we are called. This is our core duty as Christians to to trust God and to be steadfast in our faith, in our walk, in our relationship with God, especially when things do not go our way. That's what we are called to do as Christians. That is our main duty, our core duty before God, to be steadfast and to be faithful in following Jesus Christ. Let me begin with this passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. It says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The salvation of your souls. Salvation is what we will receive at the end of our faithfulness before God. To prove the genuineness of our faith, of greater worth than gold, that the honor will be found in Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ is revealed. We suffer. Why? Why? To prove the genuineness of our faith. We greatly rejoice when we suffer in all kinds of trials, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now let's get to our main passage found in Job chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. It says this, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and seven daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have seen and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So right now, today, beginning with the message, I have two sets of points for you today. The first set of the, of the message, it's going to focus on who he was. Who was Job? And I have point one, two, and three. And the second set of points is going to focus on what he did. What he did. 
And one, two, three. So let's get into our first set of points. And our first set of points on who he was, meaning in every way, even in the world, in the reputation of the world, and in his walk with God, Job, Job was three things, it says. The scripture tells us that he was three things. Again, focusing on who he was. And before we get to our points, please add Job was. So Job was, number one, point number one is that he was great. Can you turn to your neighbor and say great? Verse 2 to 3 tells us that he has seven sons and three daughters. And he owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man. It says greatest man among all the people of the East. I want to right now be able to grasp what the text, what we just read in verse 2 and 3. Think about the amount of wealth Think about the amount of the reputation, the good reputation that he had. Think about the number of animals that he had. Job was great. Point number one. Point number two. Job was blameless. When I say blameless, I'm talking about he was upright. He was a man of character. It says even in the worldly standard, he was the greatest as we have read in verse 2 and 3. But most importantly, in God's eyes, in the eyes of God, he was blameless. He was upright. In verse 8, later, that we're going to read, in verse 8, an NLT transition tells us that he was a man of complete integrity. So we understand that when God tells devil that Job is, when he tells Satan that he is blameless, he's saying that this man right now, Job, he is a man of integrity. He is upright before my eyes. Meaning, as Christians, we too must be right before God. In other times, in the other scriptures where it, t- where it talks about the word blameless, it's found in Deuteronomy 18.13, where it talks about, it says, you must be blameless before the Lord your God. And the context here in Deuteronomy 18 is warning against nations who follow sorcery, who follow spiritists, who follow conjurers, who follow diviners with magic, with magical powers. And we understand that those who follow the world, the worldly ways, are not blameless. Point number three, Job was perfect. Now, when I say perfect, I'm talking about not in the eyes of the world, not just in the eyes of the world, but in God's eyes, Job was perfect. Now, verse eight, again, is not part of the main passage today, but verse eight tells us which we're going to get into the future. It says, there is no one on earth like him. That's what God says about Job. He says he is blameless and he is upright. He is a man who fears God and shuns evil. Meaning even in God's eyes, he was perfect. It's like that old show, Everybody Loves Raymond, where the brother, the older brother, Robert, he always says about his younger brother, Raymond, he says, Raymond has everything. He has a dream job, he has a dream wife, he has a dream kids, he has a dream house. Even he gets more love from mom. He has everything. And literally, that's who Job was. He had everything. He lacked nothing. When I say he had everything, that doesn't mean that that's why he was perfect. Having everything is not perfection. 
having everything, having things are just gifts from God, from the giver himself. Perfection here is talking about maturity. It's talking about when the scripture tells us in Matthew 5.48, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly father is perfect, it's not saying that you are not going to make mistakes. It's saying this is about spiritual maturity. Perfection does not mean never failing, never making mistakes, never sinning. For we are not perfect beings. We are not perfect individuals. For we will fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's why we need a Savior. But when I'm talking about here that Joe was perfect, when I'm talking about perfection, I'm talking about maturity, spiritual maturity, meaning keep getting up even when you fall. So we understand here the first set of points that Job was what? Number one, he was great. Number two, he was blameless. And number three, he was perfect. So please turn to your neighbor and say, Job was great, blameless, and perfect. Now, let's get to our second set of points. And again, it's what he did. Job. Please add the word Job and then go to number one, number two, number three. Now Job was what? Number one, he feared. He feared. When I say fear, I'm talking about reverence. I'm talking about Job feared the Lord. What does it mean to fear in the scripture? What is the definition of to have the fear of God? To fear means this, to have reverence. It's to revere God. It says in the New Dictionary of Biblical Theology, the definition of fear is this. The fear of God may well include a recognition of the futility of human opposition to the divine, especially for those who are God's enemies. But for those who follow God, fear grows from the respect and honor. Again, I'm going to say it again. Fear grows from the respect and honor of which God is worthy as God. I'm going to say it again. Fear grows from the respect and honor of which God is worthy as God. That's like us saying, God, you are worthy of my praise. And that is why we fear the Lord. We understand who he is, that he is God and I am me. That I am, in, I am nothing in comparison to his eternal glory. That's why it tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, going back to our Philippians series, the passage that we went over, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, but not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, what does Paul tell us? Continue to work out your salvation with what? With fear and trembling before God. To revere the Lord, that's what he's saying. To have reverence to God, to have deep respect and honor for the living God. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So to stand in awe, to stand in awe before God, to have due respect for God and to honor God, that's what it means. That we stand in awe before God. That we have sense of due respect for God. And we honor God. We desire to honor God. Meaning as Christians, when we have the fear of God, we come to understand how powerful and how big my God is. That our God 
is a living God, that he is a God so big, so powerful that we fear him. With point number one, that Job feared. I have two sub-points for us. So point A is this. Submit your life in worship, in spirit, and in truth. I'll say it again. Submit your life in worship, in spirit, and in truth. Dr. Masters, he says this. that He says, reverence begins in the place of worship. When we say we revere God, we're saying that we fear God. We're saying that we worship Him. Meaning, it's me saying that we're saying that we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. That there's no other way to worship Him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 tells us this Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So, when I'm talking about revere, I'm talking about worshiping God in spirit and in truth with reverence and awe. John chapter 4, verse 23 24 tells us this. Jesus tells us this. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verse 24 tells us God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Muslims have. Salah. What that means is that it's a physical, mental, and spiritual act of worship. They pray five times daily, and it's taught by Allah to Muhammad, and depends on where they are in the position of the sun and geography. We understand that Muslims, they stop on the side, even on the side of the highway, to pray to their God. Even Buddhists in Myanmar, you see that they're hammering, they're going on and on for hours, putting in the work, hammering gold into thin layer of gold, hammering for hours. Why? For the purpose of what? To add to the statue of Buddha that they're creating. The overall lesson through these examples is this, is that if other religions can dedicate their lives wholeheartedly in worshiping their quote-unquote God and showing honor in their worship, as Christians, what are we doing as Christians in our worship and our honor before God, in our fear for the living God? When we get to, ch- when we get to church, we get the Bible that's in our backseat. When we finish church, we just throw the Bible in the backseat. And we're back to living the same way as the way that we've been living. No change, no true honor, no true fear of God. The Bible here tells us, according to John chapter 4, verse 22-24, the scripture is very clear that we are called to worship the Lord. What? In spirit and in truth. Why? Because God is spirit. Our worship is not confined by location. It's not confined by temple or no temple. No. That no matter where we are, we are called to worship the living God, for he is spirit. We are called to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what we are called to do. That's what God has called us to be. And when I say spirit, I'm talking about passion. I'm talking about zeal. I'm talking about with our whole hearts. That's what it means with spirit. With our whole being. Everything about us. With passion and with zeal and with purpose. And when I say truth, I'm talking about having the knowledge of God. The truth 
of knowing God, of having a relationship with God, knowing and understanding why we do what we do through the word and the scripture. If you want to worship God in truth, that you must have the true knowledge of knowing our God in our worship. You cannot worship God in truth if you do not have the true knowledge of knowing the true God, the living God. Meaning without truth, it becomes an overly emotional, seeker-sensitive worship, just a charismatic movement, no substance, just an emotional movement. All we do is cry and we just get filled emotionally and that's it. And the moment we go back, it's gone. It's not based on emotion. Our faith is not based on emotion. Our faith is based on the truth and the word of God. It goes beyond what I feel. Oh, I don't feel like worshiping today. Oh, I don't feel like praying today. I don't feel like reading the word today. If all of us went by our feelings of what we want to do according to the feeling that I have, we will not last in the kingdom of God. We will not last as Christian men and women of God. We are called beyond, to go beyond our emotion. Vice versa, if we only have truth and no spirit, without the spirit, it will result in a dry and passionless and joyless worship. So just like today, when we sang the song, this love for me was crucified or whom I have in heaven but you do you know that that song that passage is found in is taken from Psalm 73 where it says my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever when we sing these songs when we sing in worship when we're at home worshiping when we're in a, in a congregation worshiping together do we know what we're saying do we know what we're singing do we have the knowledge of the living God, of the true God? It's like you attending a funeral or a wedding to a person that you don't even know, that you are not related to. But if you have a deep relationship with that individual, tears start falling. You become joyful for that individual. For there is a sense of connection. If we do not have a connection and relationship with the Father, how do you expect to worship God in spirit and in truth? How is that even possible? The foundation of worshiping God in spirit and truth is relationship. Submit your life in worship, in spirit and in truth. That's what it means. We need both. We need the spirit and we need the truth. That's why he says in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. What does it say? Fear the Lord. Serve him in truth with all your heart. And consider the great things, what great things he has done for you. Leading into sub-point, letter B. Submit your life to God's word with humility. I'm going to say it again. Submit your life to God's word with humility. It says in John 1, 
that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, meaning we understand the Word of God is Christ himself. It's the living Word, the bread that we eat is the living Word of God. So to obey God is to read the Word of God. To read the Word of God is to obey God, to obey His words, vice versa. You cannot have God without His Word. You cannot have the Word without God. You cannot have the Word without Christ. You cannot have Jesus Christ without the Word. And with Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity of God, the Word of God, the Trinity, one in being, but three in person. We understand who God is through the Word of God. In reference to Psalm 119, it talks about the love and why the Word of God is so important. But my heart trembles at your Word. Great peace have those who love your law, meaning your Word, and nothing can make them stumble. I obey your statutes, meaning your Word, for I love them greatly. The principle of God's word must be active in our lives in every situation through the good and through the bad. Joshua 1 tells us in verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 4. It is the Lord your God you must follow, and Him you must revere. Keep His commands and obey Him. Serve Him and hold fast to Him. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 tells us, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Point number two, Job shunned. When I say shunned, I'm talking about he stayed away from all evil. Two main passages for this point. Let's go ahead and read it together. Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in what? In the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. We must stay away, not walk in the path of the wicked. But we may stay on the right path according to the word of God. We must meditate on his law day and night, which yields its fruit. We're like a tree planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season. Do not walk on the path and step with the wicked. Amen? Proverbs chapter 4. Let's go ahead and read together. 
Verse 13 tells us this. Can we read it together? Ready? One, two, three. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Verse 14. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way, for they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, Pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast. Repeat after me. Steadfast. Steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Proverbs chapter 4. And our last point and our second set of points is this. Number three, Job Repent it. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, repent it? I'm talking about here humility. A proud individual will never repent of their sins. A proud individual will never go on their knees to pray. When I'm talking about repentance, I'm talking about understanding our, our, that we are finite beings, understanding our shortcomings before God that all of us, we all fall short of the glory of God, that we all sin before the living God, that we have all committed grave sin, a dire sin before God, and we need God to forgive us when we need his forgiveness. It says in verse 5, going to Job chapter 1, when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom, regular custom. This is what he did all the time, every morning, early in the morning. Early in the morning here symbolizes that he's leaving his day to God. He's giving his first fruit of the day. Time is the most important thing. One of the greatest blessings we have as human beings. He is offering the first fruit to God, his time to God, and his worship to the living God. During this time, he's not only just doing it for himself, but he's doing it for who? He's doing it for his family members. And we learn that to have faith is not just about me, about my faith, praying, God, just rescue me. Pray for myself. God, help me and myself and my family and just myself only. But we understand that as Christians now, we understand through Jesus Christ, we're not just Christian in our own accountability to myself, but in my accountability to be a good steward in my community, in the world. So faith is not just about me and my family. 
But it's about being faithful steward. It's about being a faithful steward in our community. That's what we are called to do. That's why it says in Matthew chapter 22 that we went over last week. It says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just my relationship with the living God. But it's about the relationship that I have with the people, with the neighbors around me. Philippians chapter 2 tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In other words, when we pray, are we praying for our loved ones? Are they included in our prayer? Or are you just praying just for yourself? For your own success. Job did not offer burnt offering out of custom or law. In other words, because he had to. Job did it out of his love for God. Job did it out of genuine conviction for God. Job, he already had everything. He did not need to do this. He did not need to repent. For he had everything. He was pretty much perfect but Job we understand that he was a man of repentance that he was humble he was a humble man Job knew that he had to repent Job knew that God was the giver of all things that everything that he had were just blessings from God that he can give and he can take away anytime I'm closing with this. I want to invite you to close your eyes with me at this time as we finish the service together. I mentioned earlier in the beginning, the first set of points, I mentioned that Job, he was great. He was blameless and he was perfect. I talked about who he was. And on the second set of points, I mentioned that Job, he feared, he shunned, he repented. And I talked about what he did. I mentioned about how he had reverence and he had fear of God, that he stayed away from evil, from those who committed evil acts, and he had humility. But here's the reality of the matter, that no one on earth, nobody is perfect, even Job himself, that we all fall short of the glory of God, it says in Romans chapter 3, that we live in a broken world filled with broken individuals who are looking desperately looking for the true meaning of life. Meaning we can search the whole world and all we can search the whole world and we will never find another love greater than the love of God. That there will be no one like God. But the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 3 verse 24 to 25 that all are justified freely by the grace, the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith he did this to demonstrate his righteousness for we understand now that we understand now that Jesus he is the way and the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father that no one can go to the Father except through Jesus Christ that if we really want to know the Father then we need to know Christ and through Jesus Christ we have redemption. He is our mediator. That through the blood that was shed for us, 
we're able to enter the holy place, the holy of holies. Know the truth today. Receive and follow Christ. Receive the grace and follow Jesus Christ and submit your life to him right now. Know that there's a powerful enemy out there. And there is a strong temptation everywhere. But remember 1 John 4.4 that the one who is in you, the one who is in you, the one who is in you is greater and stronger and more powerful than the one who is out in the world. Will your life exemplify faith like Job? And I pray with all my heart that through Christ that we will that we will. Ephesians 3 12 tells us because of Christ and our faith in Him we can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Will you enter the presence of God with shame? Will you enter His presence with confidence and with boldness at this time? Right now let's come together. Let's just pray. Let's pray to our Father in Heaven. Let's cry out to Him. Enter His presence with confidence and with boldness. Pray together. Father, I just pray. God, that we would just have faith like Job. That we would fear you as Job feared you. That we would have reverence towards you. True reverence. That we would honor your name. That we would honor our relationship. God, that we would be like Job where we shun evil. God, that we would just stay away from evil. God, from evildoers, from those who commit evil acts, that we will not walk in step with the wicked. But Lord God, that we will walk with humility and in truth. That God, we will not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But our, our delight will be delighted in the law of God that will be like a tree planted by streams of living water which yields us for this season. Oh God, I pray God that we repent as Job repented. God, that we will have a sense of humility. God, with humility that we will enter your presence. Jesus, we need you right now. Holy Spirit, teach us your ways. Remember that you can gain the whole world, yet in the end, we can be failure in God's eyes. For you can gain everything this world can possibly offer, and in the process, you will lose your everything, for Jesus Christ is your everything. I pray that we will enter the narrow gate, that we walk the narrow path, that we'll be faithful in our walk, in our journey with our Lord Jesus Christ.
So Heavenly Father, I just pray that we'll be faithful as Job was. That God, that as Job, as he feared you, as he shunned evil, and as he repented, I pray, God, that those would be our characteristics as well. That every day that we will learn to fear you, every day we will learn to shun evil, and every day, God, we will repent on our knees, understanding our shortcomings, that only through Christ, only through you, Lord, that we are able to be where we are today. Only through Christ can we truly be forgiven and to have hope for tomorrow. So God, I pray that every word, every prayer that was spoken, I pray, God, that it will be sealed in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray for your blessing upon our church, upon our lives, upon this new week. Lord, we love you. We thank you. pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and I pray. And God's people pray, amen and amen.